Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I am Amy Gunn, and today I am with Mary Simon, Liz Lenevy, Elizabeth McNulty, and Erica Slater. So the whole group is here. We have picked a topic today that, frankly, to me, is quite bittersweet. We are going to talk about voir dire or jury selection. And as we are still in the time of COVID with no particular jury trial on the horizon, that is what to me makes it very bittersweet. But I think skills always need to be honed. And even if we're not actually in the courtroom picking a jury, we can certainly chat about the best ways to do that and our experiences picking juries and doing voir dire in the past. So first of all, hello, ladies. Hey. Hi. Hi. Because voir dire is such a lengthy topic, and many practitioners believe it is one of the most important skills to be had by a trial attorney, we will likely break this into two different episodes. I think very chronologically, as you've heard me say in the past, so looking at the way voir dire sets up throughout the course of a case, you're going to be thinking about questions to ask the jury pretty much from the very beginning. And that's a lot about what are issues in your case that you think it's important for a jury to hear, even during jury selection. That is to me is a very substantive aspect of the selection and of the questions. And I believe that's gonna be part two of this discussion. Part one though, is the process. So what is the process for putting together your voir dire? What is the process for pulling off your voir dire? And I believe that starts with practically figuring out where your case is going to be tried, what does your courtroom look like, what does your judge like by way of hardship questions. In other words, is the judge going to be asking any questions? Does that judge leave it up to the lawyers to ask all those questions? So typically there's going to be a pretrial when you have the opportunity to logistically figure out all you can about the voir dire. So Liz, let me ask you, when you and I do a pretrial, what are some of the things that come up that we want answers to so we can get started off on the right foot? So having been in multiple pretrials with you prior to COVID, the question that always comes up is, Judge, what is your preference as far as jury selection goes? Meaning, am I allowed to walk about the well? Do you want me in one specific spot? Is there a time limit? Uh, are there certain questions that the judge wants handled as opposed to the attorney? I've, I've seen where judges, they want to handle certain questions like hardships as opposed to allowing the attorneys to go about that. And so it's just an idea of making sure you understand the judge's preferences before you walk in on Monday morning and start your selection. There's so many things that can go wrong <laughs> with a jury trial. And the goal of a, a good, smart, prepared lawyer is to make sure that they 
know as much as they possibly can logistically to avoid any potential pitfalls. One of the things that I like to do if I haven't tried a case in front of that judge is ask my colleagues, send out a request on the listserv inquiring about what that judge likes to see by way of timing, how generous he or she is with strike causes, which we'll explain later on. I think anytime you have an opportunity to do some intelligence work with your judge and how he or she likes to see a jury being picked is really a good way to go. Judges universally don't love voir dire. And I can't imagine why. I mean, why not listen to all these questions hour after hour and these random people asking them? I mean, I can't imagine why that wouldn't be exciting for a judge week after week. (laughs) But what happens is sometimes you find yourself in a position where the judge wants to limit the time that you have to conduct voir dire. And the judge has discretion to do that, especially in federal court. There's discretion in, in federal and state court you see it utilized a little bit more in federal court. But it's super important to know how long you're going to have before you start. And Amy, you had asked Liz a little bit about what questions you ask the judge at a pretrial. And one of the logistic questions that comes to mind for me is not just the courtroom layout or where the potential jurors will be seated, but how many potential jurors are there going to be? How big is the panel going to be? And is it different per judge or do you just ask the judge what the number is going to be? Do you ask for a maximum number? Do you have a number set in mind or how does that work? Typically, it's a question that comes up in pretrial and the judge will say, how many jurors do y'all want? Judges have to request the amount of jurors from the court clerk. And so a judge has to call down beforehand and ask for a certain amount of jurors. Now, the judge typically doesn't want to have too many jurors because that means it'll be a longer voir dire. So I usually find that judges are trying to get by with as few jurors as possible. However, they also know, depending on how many jurors you're going to lose for cause, you don't want to spend all day on voir dire and then bust the panel at the end of the day, which means that you've lost so many jurors for cause, you don't have enough to sit for the trial. So in a typical med mal case in St. Louis County, which is where I find myself a lot, it's not unusual to ask for maybe 60 jurors. And you have to bring those jurors up. They have to be seated. And it's sometimes very difficult to ask questions to 60 people. One thing, particularly in Missouri, that you have to be aware of is what we call the insurance question. And Erica, how do you handle the insurance question? So in Missouri, it's required that if you are going to ask if any of the members on the panel work for the insurance company that's involved, that you have to get that question pre-approved. And that's a fair question in Missouri. You just have to have the judge certify it beforehand. So I always handle that at the pretrial, cite the law, you have to put it on the record, things like that. There's a couple other questions in Missouri that you have to have pre-approved and they have to do with like asking about criminal background and the way that we search those records on our 
e-filing system in Missouri. And each jurisdiction is probably going to have those types of questions that you have to get pre-approved by the judge. So it's so important to remember to do that because you can't just roll into them during Vordire. So I always put those into my outline and make sure that it's on the record that that is pre-approved because that ends up being an appealable issue. And can if you do it wrong, you can spoil the panel and that will get your entire case reversed on appeal, which sounds like a real bad way to go down. <laughs> not a fun way to start, yeah. for sure. Another thing to think about in your pretrial, I think we mentioned just a little while ago, is hardship questions. And I think that is worth explaining a little bit more. When you're called to jury duty, there are a number of ways that you can be deselected, so to speak, from serving on that particular trial. And one of those ways is a hardship. What does that mean? That means that you as the juror cannot sit for the whole week or however many days the trial is going to last. That could be something physical, like I just had knee surgery and I can't sit for those many days. It could be that you don't have very good hearing, that you're, it's very difficult to hear. If English isn't your first language, that could be a hardship. Oftentimes, though, saying things like, well, you know, I'm just going to, I can't really miss work for a couple days is not considered a hardship. And so those are things that you want to hear from your judge. Because again, a lot of discretion in what hardship means for a particular judge. Most judges that I've tried cases in front of will ask things like, I understand that you've got a vacation. Do you have plane tickets? And can you show those to me? And that's a pretty strong request. But some judges will ask the hardship questions and some won't. And I like it when the judges do, because I don't necessarily want to be the one asking Mr. Jones, so you're going to the Bahamas on Friday. Well, don't you think you'll be okay to sit here for the first four days? And what time do you leave on Friday? And it just seems very invasive to ask those questions. So I like it if a judge is going to ask the hardship questions. Plus, you have to know those things. And because the plaintiff goes first, we don't want to suck up 30 minutes of our time asking hardship questions, which both sides want to know and the judge wants to know as well. So if you're lucky, the judge will ask those hardship questions for you and you can follow up if you need to. But most of the time, it's the judge gives you an indication of what will work for him or her and what won't. And I've got to do a short plug on hardships. I, I don't know about you all, but I have had a countless number of friends and family member contact me and say, what do I need to say or do to get out of jury duty? And I've got to say, I am not the person to ask because <laughs> it is your civic duty. You got to go. You got to serve on the jury. It's so important. You're the foundation of the entire judicial system. Yes. It's just so important. It's something that makes me laugh when people ask a trial lawyer how to get out of being in the courtroom. And I'm just thinking, man, you're really just asking the wrong person. I know. I'm excited for them. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Do it and report back to me. It's going to be fun. But yeah, you're right. Asking a trial attorney how to get out of jury duty is probably not going to get much of a positive response. So once you're in the pretrial and you find out about hardships, you find out about how many jurors are going to be called up, and you hear about the insurance question and how the judge wants to handle that. Is there anything else Erica, that you like to do while you're in that courtroom 
to sort of size up the situation for your voir dire? So this is going to sound pretty rudimentary, but the logistics of how the courtroom is going to be set up is really important. So when you when the judge brings in the veneer panel, you actually want to physically know what number of juror is going to be sitting where in the jury box and the gallery. And that's so, the girls are going to make fun of me, that's so you can make all your pretty charts and graphs about, you know, how the courtroom's set up. And often, a lot of jurisdictions I've been in, like they have a chart that shows exactly where each juror number will sit, because that's what the bailiff uses to reference how to bring in people. So that's really important as well, because whether you're the note taker or the person conducting Vordire, you need to have a reference chart that literally is a map of the room and shows which number juror is sitting in which position. I call it the grid. Do you have a grid? Yeah. Everybody everybody knows what you're talking about. And they give you this blank piece of paper with squares on it. And somehow you figure out what to do with it. And sometimes it's half copied and you got to fill in the rest of the squares. Yeah, Yeah. because they've been copying the same page for 55 years. (laughs) (laughs) But Liz, how do we find out who our jurors are and when does that happen? So it depends on the jurisdiction you're in. I have seen some venues that will give you a juror list the weekend before. So the Friday before your Monday trial, you will get a list of jurors. And and that is a goldmine because now not only do you have an opportunity to start to look through the list and figure out a little bit of background on your jury panel because that'll list things like age, occupation, their gender, their race. You can pick up some information on that, but you also have some time to do a little bit of online research. Specifically, you want to look up in Missouri, we have CaseNet, which contains basically everyone in the state's legal history, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case. If you have had something filed in Missouri, it's going to be on CaseNet. So it's an opportunity to to look people up there. But other venues, you're going to be flying a little bit more by the seat of your pants during the jury selection, and they will give it to you right before the jury comes in. Literally, the jury's walking in, you get handed the jury panel list and you have to start flying through it, which for the plaintiff's lawyer is always a disadvantage because you're the first one up. You're already standing. You're already reviewing your outline. The defense attorney gets an opportunity to sort of learn a little bit more about the jury while you're literally in the middle of your selection. I have had opportunities, though. Sometimes it'll work out where the we can talk the judge into giving us the list maybe during a lunch break. And so at least we can have that lunch break to to do a little bit of, of recon on the jury and also organize our list a little bit. But there have been countless times where I'm literally filling in my grid with people's names if I'm the note taker as the jury is walking in. So it just depends on the jurisdiction, what their rules are, and also sometimes I just what the judge wants to do. You have to inquire. I'm used to trying cases in St. Louis City and St. Louis County, and it's just the way it is. You walk in on Monday morning and you still don't have the list because jurors are showing up and they're creating the list by taking the 200 people that showed up and selecting 60 of them randomly, literally printing out the list, which just contains bare bone information really, and sending it up to the judge. And then the judge's clerk makes copies and you're lucky if you get, they'll give you like two or three copies per table and you're begging for more. I think the last one we tried, Liz, 
in the county, I got the list and the judge was ready to go. And I'm filling out my grid as they're coming in to be seated. It's nerve wracking for one, because as the person asking the questions, I want to have a rapport with every potential juror in the whole room. And that starts with, I don't know, knowing their name (laughs) and you need to know their name. (laughs) And if it's not on the grid, then you're flipping through pages, trying to count where they are in what seat. So it can be very disconcerting. But if you've done this for a while, you just take a deep breath. And I think we overemphasize people expecting that you know their name. In fact, some people are like, how did you even know my name? When I say, Mr. Jones, number 14, and he looks at me like, how did you know my name? (laughs) So one of the things that I do actually in the opening part of the voir dire really is to say, we just got this list and I'm learning your names and Liz is over here writing them in this grid. So I try to use that as part of the rapport building, like, hey, y'all, I'm doing the best I can. Most of the time, it's no problem at all, but it is a little bit, makes you a little bit anxious. I think the anxiety is also the fact that this is the first opportunity the jury has to see you. Right. And you are literally asking this room of strangers eventually to make a judgment for your client. But also, let's be real, the jury is judging us as well. Every day. I remember the first time I was in a jury trial, and as the jury panel is coming in, I'm I'm frantically writing on my grid, but I'm also looking up like I have to make eye contact with all of these people so they know I'm friendly and warm and they'll like me from the get go. (laughs) But then I'm sure I look like an insane person between looking up and looking down and looking up and looking down and also keep trying to write. But if you have another attorney with you, as long as that attorney (laughs) can make eye contact and, and be that warm, friendly smile as the jury is coming in, I think it's fine for the other person to sort of be handling more of the writing and filling out the information on the piece of paper. I also think that all this stuff that we're talking about really puts emphasis on how important jury selection is. Between 60 and 70 people you've never seen before in your life most of the time, and they sit down and you're literally in a day or however time is allotted to you, supposed to get to know this group of individuals to the point where you're entrusting them to make a decision on behalf of your client. And so it's it's crazy the amount of information that the attorneys are just taking in through body language or listening to the jurors. You know, we're using the words like anxiety and rushing and doing all this stuff so quickly. And it's because so much is writing on this one part of the case. And it's before you're even talking about anything that has to do with the case, which is, you know, so much goes into it. Speaking of notes, this I think is worth a discussion as obviously one person on the legal team is going to take the lead on asking the questions. And we've talked about how important it is to make eye contact and to build a rapport and to be likable and to smile and be a good listener. And those are all wonderful things, but it is very difficult to do all those things and keep notes on what this juror is saying, because as Liz said, it's all about what they're telling you. And whether it's direct or indirect, you are judging in lightning fast speed, whether this person is a quote, good juror for this case. And if you're looking down, taking notes, you're missing that eye contact. They could think it's rude that you're not really listening. So again, Part of what I do at the very beginning is say, I'm going to take a few notes here. I explain who Liz is or whoever else is helping take notes. 
Mary, tell me what is your technique on taking notes while jurors are speaking? So I'm, I'm trying to remember the first time that I took notes during jury selection. It might've been when I was clerking in law school. And I remember how many times I was told the importance of what I was doing. No one else is going to be taking these notes. You're the only one who's taking them. And when jury selection's over, we need to look at whatever you've recorded to make the most important decisions during jury selection. So I remember being instilled with that sense of this is really, really important. It's not, you're not looking for a little skim summary. If there's something specific that someone says, you might need to just take that down word for word. And so I took notes during jury selection as a clerk. And also after I was licensed a couple months, I was the note taker for jury selection in a trial in St. Louis County. And I got a lot of advice from Erica before I did that on how to keep everything organized because you might think, okay, a group of 60 people are going to come in. It's going to be one question at a time. It's going to go slow. You can get down the information you need. Everything happens so quickly. I was very fortunate to have the attorney who was doing Vordier to be pretty methodical and repeat. A lot of times the attorney who's asking the questions will repeat the answer that the juror gives to kind of, you know, signal to the note taker. As far as technique goes, I have a legal pad with numbered tabs. The tabs are literally categorized by numbers like one to four, five to eight on each page. For every single juror, I get their name down, any information that's on that grid, immediately copy and paste that down or write it down. I have got a little code for certain professions or good, bad, good things they say for us, bad things they say for us, a little chart and a code so I know during the process at any given point, no matter what any of the those potential jurors are saying, I've got an adequate read on them. And it's really a team effort between the note taker and the attorney who's handling Vordire because at the end of the day, the person asking the questions is feeding all the information to the note taker of at the end of this, I want to be able to look at, you know, my chart and I had a yellow highlighter and an orange highlighter for good and bad. And you just want to be able to know exactly what people are getting the yellow mark, exactly what are getting, you know, the orange marks. Wait a minute, which one is good? Which one is bad? Is yellow good or orange good? Which is it? I think in that case, my yellow was good, orange was bad, and then green stood for something else. Green, but I, oh, I, I would think green would be like, all right, let's go green light on this one. Amy, if I had enough time to think about how I wanted to coordinate the, the part of the grid, I promise you I would do a better job on that. Next time I'll do it. It's crazy though. I, I still have mine from that trial because you're just so proud of it because you're like, yeah. whoa, this whole group of strangers came in and I... I could tell you what every person thinks about all these different areas of professions or types of damages or pain and suffering and stuff like that. So I do think that at the end of the day, the attorney asking the questions is carrying the day and responsible for getting the information, which is just a total art. And the note taker is just writing down every single thing that you can in order to have a record of that or a memory. And the reason why that's important is after the jury selection is finished, all the questions are answered, then you have a conference with the judge and you get so many strikes. They're called preemptory strikes. I can get rid of, in Missouri, I can get rid of three jurors and I don't have to explain why. Whatever it is, I don't have to explain it. 
but every other person has to be stricken for cause. And that means that person has to give some evidence through their words uh, or actions or both that they can't be fair and impartial for this case. And that's a heavy bar. It's a very heavy bar. And the way you win the day, the judge makes the decision and the judge makes the decision fast. You do the jury selection, you go up, you do your cause because we're trying to get this case going. And you stand there and they lightning fast grow through the list and say, what about jury number one? Anybody have a strike for cause? And I've been there many times where I'm looking at my note taker. I maybe remember the people in the box because they do a lot of talking usually, but otherwise I'm looking and I say, do we? And if you're the one taking the notes and you're not ready to answer that question, it is, it's awkward. And not only that, but it's important to be able to say, yes, we do. And here's why. And it can't be sort of a, you know, like, eh, it's, it's kind of on the edge. You have to say, this is what this juror said in quotes. And it has to be basically, here's the reason why this guy can't be fair. And there's trust in that. There's trust in the note taker saying, here it is. And the attorney can read what you've written down when doing that. Yeah. And I think the best situation is where the note taker is co-counsel is the other attorney on the case because Amy and I have done this as I've gotten more experienced where she says, you're taking notes for this. Also, I expect you to argue the challenges when they come up. The only other, I guess, tactic or strategy I have, and I can't remember who I learned it from, maybe Amy, maybe John, but for our particular cases, there's two issues that are always important for every single case. And that's whether the juror can understand burden of proof And is willing to accept the fact that in civil cases, you don't have to be beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond no doubt. It is more likely true than not, which the the analogy that I always use is the I don't have to make it from end zone to end zone if I'm on a football field. I just have to make it to the 51-yard line and I win my case. Are you okay with that? Because some jurors say, no, I think you have to have a, a higher burden than that if you're going to be finding someone liable in a court of law. And they say great. I'm so glad you shared that opinion with me. I, I, I appreciate your honesty. And as soon as I hear that, I have my big red pen and I write burden of proof. And then in my notes, I write, they don't like the fact that it's more likely true than not true. They cannot be on this jury. The other issue that is really important for the kind of work that we do is damages. We had a wrongful death trial a couple years ago, and one of the jurors made the comment, you could prove to me that these doctors harmed this child and, and it resulted, their negligence resulted in her death, and I would give you $1. And I remember, I think John was actually doing that voir dire, and John said, thank you, Mr. So-and-so. I really appreciate your honesty. And meanwhile, I'm in the corner with my big red pen saying $1. That's all <laughs> he would ever give. And depending on the kind of work that you do, there's always issues that are going to be important to hit in every single case. For us, it's burden of proof and damages. And so I have my red pen and my green pen because I also want to keep track of the jurors I like and the jurors I want to fight for. And maybe if we take a break, I can tell Amy, hey, you know, she kind of made this comment. Maybe you have an opportunity to rehabilitate her a little bit and, and make sure that the judge understands that she is fair and impartial, but she's also a good potential juror for us. So I don't want to lose her. So I keep my red pen, my green pen, 
it looks like Christmas when I'm done with my grid at the end of the jury selection, but it is so important to stay organized and to have your plan going in that way when things start really moving, you're keeping up. One of the things that helps us make decisions about jurors, if we're lucky enough to have a jury list before five minutes before we start is to do the research on their social media or looking up litigation, that type of thing. Elizabeth, have you been involved in doing some research on jurors for trials? And if so, tell us about that. Most of my experience comes from doing some research on the panel. When we get the list, you just start looking it up as quickly as you can. I've had to split it up with people before. I have been involved in one case where the judge actually didn't allow any research beforehand. So before undertaking that, I'd make sure that it's something that's uh, permitted in whatever court you're in. But I know that there are services that will kind of do some of this for you, but you can also, I mean, I think that this day and age, most people are pretty good at doing some research on other people online. You just have to be careful on, you know, maybe going too far. If you're on Facebook, don't accidentally friend request them (laughs) and yeah, make sure that they can't tell that you're looking at their LinkedIn page when you search them. You know, a person from the Simon Law Firm has viewed your page. That could be bad. Right. Like Liz said, go look on CaseNet. You're kind of looking for red flags. And then another thing is uh, you can also go look at contributions that they've made to campaigns, kind of pull information on that, get their political beliefs. I think this day and age, again, people are putting their politics online more than ever before. So I think that that can be uh, really helpful. So while not everyone might not have the resources to do research on the panel, I think that it can really benefit you. But just make sure you take good notes while you're doing it or it can, you know, be kind of pointless in the end. I have one juror research story where I think what we found on the juror really made a difference. It was in a case in the city a couple years ago. I was the lead trial attorney. My client was also a woman. And I had one of my interns do some some recon on all of the potential jurors. And I think juror number three or four, he was early on in the panel. When we looked up his Facebook page, he really did not like women. He hated women. And all of his Facebook posts were about what terrible B words we are and all this stuff. I'm sure he thought he was a nice guy and that's why women are rejecting him or whatever. But I saw that and I went, don't don't want that get rid of him so the other attorney my my co-counsel i said you need to get him off of this jury he cannot be on this jury and i think he still played it off like he said all of the right things to stay on so we ended up using one of our preemptory challenges on him because i said i'm just not comfortable keeping him on there when he is he clearly just does not like me because of something I do not control. So. There are so many things these days that jurors or potential jurors can do to get themselves off. That if you're not aware of what they're out there doing or tweeting or posting, then you're really losing an opportunity for a challenge strike. So it's very important to, number one, know your judge, know your courtroom, Know the logistics surrounding the process, including how many jurors are coming up, how much time you get, who, who's doing hardships, choosing wisely on your note takers. And if you can have more than one, that is fantastic. You can just have a couple of people, as Liz said, interns, 
uh, or law clerks who come in and don't have to be attorneys of record, don't have to be attorneys at all, but can sit and take notes. And you do have time to confer with your team before the challenge hearings, but usually you don't have much. So you just have to be on all day long and it can be exhausting, but also so exhilarating and so exciting because as Mary said at the beginning, these are people who are going to be choosing the fate of this case that you've been working on for however many years. The other thing that I like to do is talk to my client and it's very important to say trial prep, which includes the jury's watching you. From the minute you potentially drive your car into a parking space until the minute you leave. So please be aware of that. But when you're in the courtroom, for sure, people are watching you. And I ask my clients, I want you to look at those jurors too. And obviously, you know, smile and be pleasant. But I trust my clients' opinions oftentimes on the vibe, if you will, that they're getting from certain jurors. And whether, you know, they looked at them sideways or rolled their eyes when I asked about damages or something like that. So there's a lot of nonverbal in addition to verbal responses that could help in that cause hearing. And that's another reason why you need more than one person or even more than two people who are watching. Because if I'm asking a question to juror number four, juror number 22 might have a reaction to it that I don't see. So everyone on your team has to be kind of constantly scanning. And that includes your client. I always add my client into the conference that you have, the private conference that you have directly after jury selection before you start arguing, because I want them to be a part of this too. And gosh, if you think it's crazy and wild for us, you can imagine how a client feels kind of watching it all happen. So you want them to be involved in the process as well. Now, once you do your pretrial and gather all the information and get your little ducks in a row about who's going to be taking notes, the next step obviously is to start putting your outline together and start putting together your presentation of the process. And I think that we will save that for another episode. But today, I think there are some pretty important takeaways. And let's have a little takeaway. Who would like to start? My takeaway is to prepare all your materials ahead of time that you're going to be using to take notes so you are not flustered or you are as relaxed as you can be that morning and ready for the things that are unanticipated. So have all your materials ready and be organized. Got it. Liz? My takeaway is that if you have an opportunity to talk to the judge ahead of time, take it. If you have the opportunity to talk to other attorneys who have been in front of that judge, talk to as many people as you possibly can before Monday morning when trial starts. Elizabeth? Mine is how important it is to be a really good listener on that day, whether you're the note taker or the person conducting the jury selection. But just as important as listening is you really have to pay attention to verbal cues because they can tell you just as much, if not more, as what the person is actually saying. Mary! My biggest takeaway from this conversation is you've got to have someone on your team that you have the utmost trust in when you're going into jury selection. Whoever is asking the questions, who's ever taking notes, there's got to be 100% trust and confidence in, in both of those people. 
My takeaway is that if you have never done a voir dire, if we've got folks listening who are newer attorneys and you've never done one, go see one. Because you really, it, it's very hard to imagine how fast-paced all these things are unless you've seen one. In addition to that, and sort of al along those same lines, is if you're the one who's going to be leading the voir dire, you have to visualize yourself doing that. And I would encourage you to go to that courtroom, figure out where you want to put your podium, if you even want a podium, know where your notes are going to be, know how many notepads you want, have your pens ready, and really just close your eyes and see yourself conducting this presentation. If you're able to visualize it and you're able to stand there, you're going to be able to get through it a lot easier. So, well, thank you ladies for this interesting discussion of voir dire, which we won't be able to do for another few months, unfortunately, <laughs> but I feel better living vicariously through this discussion and remembering some of the angst and some of the exhilaration that has occurred over the years in my jury selection. So thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Connect with Amy, Liz, Mary, Erica, or Elizabeth at heelsinthecourtroom.law.